Good evening, everyone. It is 6.13. Ha, just kidding. PM and Pure Gold is once again live and on the air on 1640 Ironbound Radio for this Wednesday night, April 17, 2013. Welcome once again to the show that covers everything and anything It tells it like it is. My name is Joe Pacino. My co-host back in studio is David Gomez. Sir, how are you? Woo! I'm excited, sir. Uh, just glad to be back in studio. It's been a couple of weeks. We've had a lot of things going on. Folks, if you'd like to give us a call, 714-364-4721. Check us out at puregoldpg.com. Of course, make sure you download the TuneIn app for 1640 Ironbound Radio. And, of course, you can check us out at ir1640amradio.com. Thanks, Dave. Tonight on the program, we have two guests, one in studio, one that will be calling in. Thanks to the Red Bulls, by the way. There's so much traffic in this area. It's unbelievable. But we'll have Ricky Otazu will join us on the phone, and we'll be talking about hopefully uh, a great partnership with Pure Gold and the NWA and Ricky. We'll be talking about Whoa! Sorry, Joe. I just had to get that in there. All right, we're uh, that's our intro music, by the way. But like I was saying, we'll be talking about the NBA, the NBA playoffs. Specifically, the fact that my team, my Boston Celtics, will be playing Dave's team, the New York Knicks. So we'll be talking a little bit about that. We'll get on to, unfortunately, the hot topic of the week, which was the tragedy, the Boston Marathon with the two bombings, and uh, get some inf- uh, get your take. Uh, we'll give you your take, and we'll get our take on it. Oops, a little mix up here, folks. And we'll talk about the unfortunate passing of uh, one of the legends, one of the greats of uh, football announcer Pat Summerall passing away. Which I didn't know, by the way, is that Pat's um, first name was not actually Pat. Pat means point after touchdown, and they had nicknamed him Pat because he was money when it came to the point after the touchdown. So his real name was not Pat. I'm not even sure what his real name was, but uh, we'll talk about Pat Summerall. And like I said, in about a couple seconds, we'll be joined by Erica Firestein, who's from the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. She and Dave have been working together to get um, quite a few interns working here on 1640 AM which has been great because uh, it's been taking uh, it's taken a lot of uh, stuff off of Dave's plate because Dave would come here almost every other night if there's issues with, uh, you know, either technical issues or just people not being able to come do the show. So Dave and Erica have done a great job with interns, and I heard Sean, who Dave was telling me about on the way here, Sean has been doing a great job, did his own show, and that will be the head of interns, which, um, you know, it's like Dave's building a mafia here, it seems. You know, Dave's the the, the head boss here, and uh, now he's got, uh, you know, capos or captains working for him. He's got interns. So we'll find out what Erica says about that. Um, I guess, you know, before we get to Erica, actually, here here is uh, Erica as we um, bring her into the studio. Hello. Hi. We're we're joined here. Like I said, our first guest of the evening of the evening is from the Canadian School of Broadcasting. <laughs> I'm going to call it Director Extraordinaire, Director of, of Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Erica, am I saying this right? Firestein. 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 But that's okay. Welcome. You were you the first, and you will not be the last. <laughs> I guarantee. Welcome to the program. Thank you. And my director is listening right now. Oh, so shout out to Marty. <laughs> Well, Erica, listen, we thank you so much for joining us. Um, of course, you and I have been talking a lot off the air in terms of 
getting some interns for the uh, station, and of course we have uh, one of them, Sean, has been doing a great job. Uh, I know uh, he's on the Ken Reedy show, which airs Tuesday. And Joe, his nickname so far is Sean Dango, so uh, trying to get trying to get the wrestling thing going on there. But you know, Sean has done a great job so far. Um, you know, he's been he's been uh, one of the guys who's really been top notch, as it were. And we actually have another student who just started yesterday, Mike Sanfilippo, another guy that you also uh, you know sent my way. So so Erica, you know, makes this connection through Ken Reedy. She sends me like 85 different people, emails, <laughs> resumes, all kinds of things. And I literally have no clue who to get in touch with, but I, you know, I've tried and uh, thank you so much for that, by the way. No, I mean, and I want to thank you for giving our, our students this opportunity first and foremost, because without you guys, you know, I would have two less people that don't have internships. And that's really important. I mean, we breed students and then graduates to be professionals in this field. And I feel that what you guys are doing is um, phenomenal for, um, I'm sorry, it's phenomenal for, for me as a career services advisor and for the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. And I just, I appreciate that a lot. I think we need to take about like three or four steps backwards and talk about Erica first. You, how did you, um, you know, did you go to college major in communications? Tell us a little bit about yourself first. Well, it's funny that you asked. I did go to the University of Arizona. I'm from here, but I went over there. I started in at the student-run radio station at the U of A. Um, had my own show there throughout my college career. Uh, during that period, I also started in, in radio at Clear Channel. I got an internship in promotion, and um, I got hired after that, but it was part-time. It wasn't feasible for me to stay, so I moved back here and uh, thought my director, this is my story, but my director always laughs. I really thought, it sounds dramatic, but I did think that my broadcasting career was finished before it even started until I found CSB. When I went to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting, I strictly wanted to be on air. That, that was it. And that still hasn't changed, but it opened up my eyes to so many other opportunities that, you know, I didn't even know existed, like production. And actually, five weeks out of school of CSB, I got my first production assistant job. So, I mean... I just, I just stuck with it, and, you know. What do you like? Uh, what do you prefer, TV or radio? I like both. Um, for myself, I'm more of a radio chick. I, I really do like um, editing. I love editing. Um, I love vo doing voiceovers and being creative with imaging, and um, I do like to talk, as you can tell. So I'm more on the radio side, but I do, I'm interested in TV production. Okay. Um, and I ask this because my follow-up question is, Dave and I started out doing a show on Blog Talk Radio, and we now simulcast on the radio on 1640 AM, as well as on Blog Talk Radio. I've had some other people tell me that the the future of talk radio is now through um, these podcasts. Do you agree? Uh, yes and no. The, yes, because now it will give everybody who wants to be a broadcaster, that opportunity. Um, and if you can find 
people for ads, you know, you could make money. That's that's true. But is terrestrial radio going anywhere? No. I don't think terrestrial radio is going anywhere. Is uh serious going anywhere? You know, it's it's really funny when you talk about serious and then versus terrestrial radio. Now, I I wish I could credit this to myself, but this is the best way it was once put um, to me by one of my fellow friends in the industry. They like to they would like to take their show like you know as we know serious. They could say whatever whatever they want, curses you know, innuendos, inappropriate things. Uh, But in terrestrial radio, you know, you have FCC regulations and whatnot. But to get back to what he said, he told me that he would love, him and his co-hosts would love to, like, take it there and let you know what they were trying to say without saying it, if that makes sense. And I think that's the beauty of terrestrial radio, is that, yes, you can't, say certain things, but you can paint a picture, so to speak, to the listener. So, I mean, I don't think they're competing by any means, but, I mean, I I just, I, I again, I don't think terrestrial radio is going anywhere. <laughs> I've always been interested about this. How do you, um, because me and Dave were always interested, like, how do you judge how successful a radio show is? Is it by the amount of advertisers you get and the more money? How's that actually work? Well, here's how it works, really, um, from my understanding, is Arbitron ratings. Um, I personally don't know how accurate they are because I was told, so don't quote me on this if I'm incorrect, but I've been told that the way they get these ratings is by calling people and asking them what stations they listen to. And as you know, I'm sure, I don't know about you guys, I don't answer 1-800 numbers that I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, of course. Or whatever, you know, or a blocked call. Right. So that's why I personally don't really rely on the Arbit- on the Arbitron books. But, I mean, I, what I think defines a successful station is the listenership. Are people interacting with you? Are they calling in? Are they tweeting about you? You know, I mean, the interaction is what I really think makes a ra- any radio station successful, regardless of what Arbitron says. Okay, folks, we're joined here by Erica from the Connected School of Broadcasting. Besides talking to Dave um, for half your day, you know, building <laughs> a, a, a mafia of interns here at, you know, 1640, oh, what else are you doing throughout your day? Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, I meet with students a, a lot, trying to build my army of future interns. Nice. Um, I also do some administrative things that aren't so interesting, but what I love about my job is that I get to talk to people with that glimmer in their eye that are just so excited about broadcasting and their future in the field. You know, I get to hear people's dreams every day, and I try to make them a reality, as cheesy as it may sound. Yeah. Now, I don't know if Joe asked this one. I had to step out because, you know, that, that's the life of the program director here at 1640. Um, who, this is this is a side note related to the school. What 
can you tell the audience out there listening as far as what the Connecticut School of Broadcasting brings to the table? Have you guys had any famous, and I know the answer, but any people who've made it in radio that went to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting? Oh, absolutely. Um, we have plenty of people that now work at Sirius, um, MTV, um, just to name a few of the big ones. Um, one of our own instructors is... Um, the PD, I believe, for KTU, you know, so the CSB family is really tight and, you know, they are in high places. Right, right, right. I can't think of a name right now, and if it comes to me, I'll definitely Bro. let you know, but... Bro. <laughs> oh! Lou Benigno, yes. Close, Joe Benigno. Joe, Joe, I'm sorry. I'm not a sports person. No, it's all right. I'm so sorry. We, we forgive you. Even and I know that. his cousin, is, and it's not ironic, and I can't even get his name right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know Joe has always been a big uh, proponent of the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. He talks about it now. What do you think, if you're, let's say Joe, for example, my co-host here, the other Joe B, if you were going to go to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting, what do you think would be the, what would he learn there, and what would be the reason to go there versus just going, let's say, to a regular concept? Why would someone want to go to CSP? Okay. Well, let me tell you about what we offer. This is why you would want to go. This is basically what you would gain from coming, what you would learn, basically. Now, you would um, – I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought for a second. I'm a little nervous. You guys are right. great, but I'm a little nervous. This is my first interview. Doing good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we uh, we're interview experts. That Joe likes to say we interview the interviewers. So <laughs> I know we've had we've had some interesting interviews over the the two and a half years that we've been on the air. So. Well, I appreciate it. No now, problem. first and foremost, I just want to say what a fun learning environment it is. It's it's also an inspiring learning environment. Um, our students come to CSB because of the team atmosphere. It's not like people are competing against each other. And that's one of the things I love about it. Um, everyone in the classes are willing to help each other out, um, and that's great. And the knowledge of the instructors is just impeccable because they're in the industry, you know, so they know what they're talking about. Um, it's fun to be in the studio, as you guys know, as we know right now. I love I love this. Um, and they'll, they'll get a rewarding studio and class projects that they'll have to complete. Right, right. Um, also, there is individualized attention, which college really can't offer unless you go to a really small college. Right, right. I mean, course. and we do this deliberately to keep the class sizes small so our instructors can give you personalized attention just so you don't get lost in the shuffle because there are two... There are two um, options for people that are interested in coming. There's a day and there's a night. The day goes Monday through Thursdays from about 10 until sometimes 2 o'clock. 10 in the morning to 2 in the afternoon. And it's an eight-week program. Okay. So it's very intense. The night class is a 16-week program, and they meet two nights a week. So regardless, I mean, you're getting so to speak, your foot in the industry right, right. two months to four months out of school, you know? They, now, have you, have you placed anybody? Like, obviously, you have Sean and Mike who are here. We have uh, another girl who's actually on her way who 
you know, apparently put the wrong uh, address in her GPS, but that I won't hold that against her. I, I've had a lot of contact with people, but are, are there any uh, students that you've placed in places, whether it's internships or, you know, possibly have gotten jobs on the air somewhere, some, you know, what, um, whatever area of the field? I is? have. I've placed um, my my latest placement, aside from Mike, right. which I'm so happy to have of with course, you guys, yeah. and I'm so glad that Sean is doing fantastic. Oh, he's amazing. I guess um, if, I had the, if I had the... The budget at higher showing. I I saw him last night, oh, and when you? I asked him about how it was going, just the smile on his face just said it all, and I was like, oh, fantastic! I like live vicariously through these students. Um, but yes, I have had other placements. I have two that are at uh, RNN TV in Westchester. Oh, nice! And uh, another one at News Twelve, New Jersey. Um. And then there are some in the works. I'm, I'm constantly, this is another thing that I take on as a career services advisor and campus coordinator. I work with people steadily, not just on their resume, but on their demos as well. So, you know, like last night I worked with a, with a grad on his um, production demo for like two hours. So, you know, the life, the, the, it never, it never ends. And it's a positive thing because of, if I can help somebody launch their career, I mean that makes me feel amazing. Like it's my, like it's m- me. Now you mentioned something, Erica, that that I find interesting. As far as demos, if you were to put a demo together, what would you need to do? Let's say, let's say you haven't gotten to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting, but you want to get into into the uh, area, into the, the field or whatever it is. Now, what would you have to put in a demo? How long should it be? You know, give give the audience out there some pointers. Okay. Well, first of all. Are we talking about a production demo or an on-air demo? On-air. On-air. Yeah. Like, okay. Like, you, like you're Joe again, Joe Schmo. Wonder why you're asking this. Who wants to get in? Uh, <laughs> who wants to get into sixteen forty or wants to put a production demo? Not a production demo. Uh, an on-air demo together. What, what would he have to do? Okay. First, you have to pick your format, and make sure that you are sticking to the format. So, if you're picking country, make sure that you know you don't have to have a southern accent right, or anything course, like that. But um, you know what they say, um, to tell a real, who, who's the most talented broadcaster is somebody that can do any format. But, as a side Anything note, and everything, right, Joe? Right. <laughs> exactly. That's our, that's our uh, Joe and I, you know, ever since uh, we started the show, I've, I've battled, not for the past year or so, but I used to battle with, should we stick to one specific thing? Should we just do sports? Should we just do wrestling or whatever the case is? But I found that the audience out there, what people like to listen to is everything, you know, in terms of us. So we talk about everything. We talk about movies. We talk about television. We talk about uh, wrestling, baseball, football, basketball, sometimes hockey. But, you know, again, I, I don't, I'm not a big hockey fan. But, uh, you know, we don't really stick to soccer. But people tend to like variety. But then again, there's other people who just want, you know, country music. I mean, Joe's huge on country music, right, Joe? Huge. Uh, you know, rock music, uh, rap, whatever the case is, you have your specific genres. But we found that being about anything and everything and talking about the whole gamut of stuff really has been our benefit. But in terms of most students, they probably should stick to one specific Right, thing. right. Just to have a traditional demo. I mean, what you mentioned is a really good point because I think people do like variety. And that could be the future. That could be the future of certain radio formats, you know, for stations. Right. You never know, and that would be fantastic. But for for now, just traditionally, after you pick your format, you have to, I don't want to say play that part, but 
you know, you can't be like, yo, 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 this is Erica on the ones and twos, you know, <laughs> on like, on like an alternative rock right. station. Yeah, it's not going to work. Right, it's not going to work. So, basically, after you pick your format and you figure out, you know, what you're going to, the next thing is to pick out what songs you're going to use. You pro- probably want to use. Should you pick specific songs? Like, should you pick. Um, hot songs at the moment. I yeah. Mean, you know, can you pick like old songs? I mean, old yeah. Songs I mean, personally, I've I myself have done a CHR or you know top forty demo. Right. So it's a little dated now, but the songs are still being played. Right. Right. You know, I should probably update it, but I mean, I would use current songs, but another important thing is the talk up time. Right. Because you need to express your talent. You need them, you need yeah, production. Yeah, because you're going to be talking on Yeah. Or, and you need PDs like yourself right. to hear your talent. Right. So you need a sufficient amount of talk up time. So, you know, finding the right song that's in right now with also enough time for you to get what you need to say one thought at a time, people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, then you would just basically, um, from there, take the best, just start recording. Right. If you need to write down what you're going to say at first, do that, you know, but don't sound like you're reading. Right. You know, and then you just got to have as many takes as possible. Yeah. Pick the best ones and kind of just have an even keel flow. Now, how long should the demo be? No longer than two and a half minutes. Two and a half minutes? Okay. And would you say that... You know, in comparison, your your um your demo is like your resume. Oh, absolutely. I almost feel like it's more important than your resume. Right, because of course you want to see what it, it, being in the radio industry or the television industry is different than let's say uh, you're an accountant because an accountant here's your resume, look at it, and in the in the industry of course, like I I've looked at the resumes and I said okay, well they all look very similar. Now when I hear the voices, I said oh, okay, well this guy sounds like he'd be good radio, or this guy this girl sounds like she'd be an interesting person to listen to. So I can understand why that would be so important. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and really it shows your personality. It shows what kind of talent you have. You know, and what I can't stress enough about demos is if you are unsure about it, it's probably not your best work. Right. You know, you need to listen to that over and over and over again until you get sick of hearing yourself. You know, even that's why I always extend myself at the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Let me hear your demo, you know. Let me help you if there's anything that I can do to help you, to let you know, you know, and, I, and I'm honest. I'm not mean or anything, uh, you know. But if they can do it better, I definitely try to advise. Well, the reason why I ask you about a demo, how important it is compared to a resume or is your resume, is because um, if somebody is able to refine it and then perfect a demo, is that a good judge versus, say, for example, say you want to listen to a show and see if they're possibly, you know, good enough to go on uh, terrestrial radio or serious, why not just listen to one of their shows live and, and get, critique it that way as opposed to something to be, that's to, recorded? You know, that's a really good question. And honestly, that does happen sometimes. That does happen. But... PDs don't have time for that. Of course not. The reason Joe... You know what I mean? And that's that's why demos are short and sweet. And generally, if you don't get their attention within 15 to 20... No, 15 to 30 seconds of your demo, it's in the trash. And that's what Al Duke said. 
Well, you know, and Fantasy Phenom. We've we've gone right? two years in a row to the WFN, the Fantasy Phenom competition. They do at sports radio, and uh, you know we haven't we haven't advanced past the first round, which of course neither one of us can understand. I think it's Joe because Joe sounds like he's reading half the time. But yeah, that's besides the, the point. When we go there, you know, we heard a guy say who's judging. You know, I know in ten seconds they didn't even look like they were paying attention to that, and we're watching. We're towards the beginning of the line. We're watching the judges, and they look like they're talking, they're laughing with each other, not paying attention to anything, and they end up picking people, you know, whoever the case is. We've never felt that the winners, and that's not because it wasn't us, we never felt that the winners were the best suited people, and we always thought, how can you tell in that shorter period of time, you know, 40 seconds or 50 seconds or whatever, if somebody's interesting? Because some of the guys they picked, horrible, personally. Why? Like, what made them horrible? Just... Uninteresting talk, their voices, the, the words that they use, everything, just in general, just bad, bad, something that, that I would not want to listen to. Now, when I listen to our show, because what I do, what Joe and I do when we go to work, you know, our full-time jobs the next day, we both listen to the program to see how we can fix it, what we liked, what we didn't like. And, you know, now we're at the point where we feel comfortable with each other and we can wing a show. But at the beginning, we were constantly like, let's do this, let's change this. You know, there's a lot of tweaking and whatnot. It's a good thought. Erica, let me ask you, because you, you're in studio. Are you, can you stay uh, for a little longer? Sure. All right, Dave, this is a um, a displaced show. Uh, we've yeah, definitely. We, we've, we've had a lot of different things yeah. going on. I mean, the damn Red Bulls, the soccer arena. I, yeah, I know Ricky's on hold, so let's take a quick break. Let uh, our sponsors do their thing, and we'll be right All back with money. Ricky Otazu of the NWA. We will be right back, folks, here on Your Goal. All right, welcome back to Pure Gold. It's Wednesday, April 17, 2013. We are joined on the phone because of traffic of this Red Bulls game by the owner and promoter of the NWA National Wrestling Alliance, Ricky Otazu. Ricky, how are you, sir? Hey, guys. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, we're, do- we're doing great here, uh, Ricky. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you know, it-, it really is a pleasure. I know that you and Joe have been talking quite a bit off the air in terms of who you can get, but, um, you know, we appreciate you taking some time out here. Like Joe said, we wanted to have you in studio with a crazy, apparently people like soccer here in, in Newark. With all the issues we were having, uh, you know, we prefer to have you call in, but we definitely love to have you come in studio, sir. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to get down there. I was actually on my way tonight, and uh, I got the phone call about the traffic, so I appreciate that. Save you some uh, time, energy, and some stress, let me tell you, Ricky. But let me uh, take you back to uh, April 6th, uh, Saturday night, the night of the WWE Hall of Fame, and uh, I'm talking to my wife, Andrea, and she mentions to me how uh, one of her friends is at the Hall of Fame, and I'm like, who is this? And she tells me, uh, you know, Ricky, I went to high school with him. And then she begins to tell me, yeah, you know, I, I told you about him, right? He's like, uh, he's in, uh, into wrestling, and I think he owns his own, uh, you know, wrestling uh, organization. I'm like, you never told me any of this stuff, and I've been doing this show for about two and a half years now. We've had different wrestling topics, different wrestlers on, and then to come find out that you have a promotion right in Hasbro Heights, New Jersey. Is that correct, Ricky? Yes. Um, Andrea and I went to school together. We grew up even before that together, so we know each other a good 30 years. Um, I've been doing this since 1999. I've been promoting in the Bergen County area as well as nationally. And, uh, you know, it's it's a small world. It's kind of funny. You never know who you're going to run into or who's involved in the business. So it's, uh, it's a new friendship, and I'm I'm looking to make it grow. Well, let me ask you, Ricky, um, how does someone, um, you know, become an owner or promoter like yourself? Like, you must really have a passion for wrestling. But what, what you know, how did it all come about? It's a pretty quick story. It's kind of fun because we just actually had a ceremony for the gentleman. 
Uh, I was about eight or nine years old. I'm watching UH, you know, the UHF channels on TV, and I'm watching the UConn <laughs> Lumberjacks against, against Rick Martell and Tony Gurria, and the title change happens, and I start talking to my mom, and, you know, we had the whole family was sitting around the TV, and my mom goes, oh, I went to high school with a wrestler. His name is Pete Reeves from Lodi, New Jersey. And I said, Mom, i got to meet him. i got to meet him. And a couple of years later, we ran into him at the old uh, Elmwood Park flea market, if you remember that place. I do. And we ran into him. We started talking, and Pete asked me if I would be interested in training uh, to be a professional wrestler, which I absolutely wanted to always do. So Pete took me under his wing. I worked out with Pete, the Iron Giant, uh, Dr. Pete, David Schultz, and a few other people. And I had a very severe injury at work. I broke my leg in 10 places. It required just about 20 surgeries to save my leg. So my days as an actual wrestler were kind of, you know, the, the career ended before it started type thing. So that's how I ended up running my first show in Lodi was uh, for a gentleman named Chris Grant, who was a very close friend of mine who was paralyzed in a, in a freak accident in a swimming pool. And we put a show on for him, and we drew about 1,600 people and, we were able to help him get a ramp in a, uh, a handicapped accessible van for him and his family, and from that day forward, I've been hooked. Now, I've got to ask you something, Ricky, and again, I have to step out of the room for a second because I have a lot of things going on here with the, with the station, so I'm not sure if my partner asked this question. I don't believe that he did, but there's a guy here at the studio uh, who's a part of our 1640 family. His name is Ken Reedy. Do you know who Ken Reedy is? Yes, I do very well. Ken actually... Uh, was commentary on a TV show that I'm one of the producers for and one of the people who provides content for the show. Now, now this is the NWA Wild Side, right? Is this is this the same promotion as your NWA, or is it a different branch of it? Uh, they're called NWA on Fire. Uh, I was actually a founding member of that company when it was out of Maine and Boston with uh, Mario Savoldi. Right, um, right. I kind of stepped away from the, the travel part of it because I do have a family and uh, I have two young girls, and it was it was really taking its toll on my family. So I stepped away. Mario continued to run it, which he still does a great job of doing today. And it, it's two separate branches, but it's a brother and sister. We work together very closely. Uh, Mario's involved in my shows. My shows are involved in his. Nice. Now, your version of that, what is your version called? And I, I apologize for giving the incorrect name, but I believe the TV show is called the NWA on Fire. But tell us, what what is your NWA called? My company is called Liberty States Wrestling. Liberty States Wrestling. Now, it, it's but it's still you said a brother sister, so it's a, it's a quote unquote affiliated with uh, the NWA name. Yes. Now, in terms of champions and whatnot, is that totally separate as well? Yes, they have their own. They have their own. They recognize their own regional champion, as do I. Okay. Now, um, who is the current champion for your promotion? Uh, Danny Moff. Nice. Uh, Rick Mock just defeated uh, Eric Andretti last month in Hasbro Kites to win the title. Oh, that's where our, our other guest is from, Hasbro Kites, so it's kind of funny. You know, I work right next to there. Uh, how was the show? Was it a Red Hot Crowd? Yeah, actually, we've we've just recently moved back to Hasbro Kites to run shows. We started in February. Uh, we ran February and March, both to a sellout crowd. Amazing, because it was mostly all kids. A uh, place was as loud as loud be. And I want to just back it up for one minute. I've been promoting uh, Lodi and Hasbro Kites since 1999. Uh, my original company was called JCW, which was Jersey Championship Wrestling. Um, what people remember me for was I used to host the annual J-Cup, uh, which was a tournament where CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, Reckless Youth, Shark Boy, uh, Alex Shelley, 
uh, Jay Lethal, Homicide, those are all guys who either won or competed in that tournament, which we ran for four years uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, to a very successful uh, run with that. And we then were able to buy into the uh, NWA uh, and become an NWA affiliate, and that's when I changed the name. Gotcha. And now you have a, a, a show coming up on May 18th, which is about a month from tomorrow, and uh, headlining, is, it, is is Vader, Big Van Vader, headlining the show on May 18th? Yes, he is. Big Van Vader will be there. Uh, like I said, Danny Moss is there, Danny DeMonto, uh, Eric Andretti, Justin uh, Carino. Uh, we have a great lineup. Uh, we have guys like uh, Smith James, who uh, has an amazing future in front of him. Uh, Billy Carr, who was recently released from the WWE developmental system. So we have a we have a great, great locker room there, and that's what I pride myself on. That's great. Um, I was going to ask you, too, uh, with the, the upcoming events, um, it's May 18th. It's, it's in Hasbro Heights. Um, with, with Vader, how, how did you get in touch with him? Because, you know, most of these guys that you're mentioning are guys that wrestled the main circuit, and now they're wrestling... Uh, in promotions like yours, how, how do you get in touch with somebody like Big Van Vader? Well, again, you know, I've been involved nationally. I've worked for Vince McMahon. I've done plenty of SmackDowns and Raws. I've been an extra on those shows. I, I, I've worked uh, with TNA. As a matter of fact, I was the first promoter in the country to run a TNA house show. Uh, I, You know, it, it's all networking. Um, my list goes back to guys like S.D. Jones, Adam Paul Cicluna, uh Pete Reeves from the 70s. Those guys handed me phone numbers. Uh, when you're in the when you're in the business, you'll be surprised. As a matter of fact, two seconds ago, I have to apologize if the phone was clicking. Uh, that was Big Daddy V. Visceral was just trying to call me. Uh, oh, wow. When you're in the business, you get phone calls seven days a week, probably 20 hours a day. So it's all about networking. When stars hear that you have a promotion that's running, uh, they call you. So that you know that's kind of the easiest way to describe it is that it's just basically a big uh, wrestling has its own Facebook or. Uh, LinkedIn or anything like that, and, and and it's actually a very tight-knit community. And you mentioned networking, and that's what we're doing right now, uh, you know, through Andrea, Small World, like you said. Hopefully we'll build a, a partnership, and like I said, once we have you on, we'd like to have uh, some of your wrestlers on, promote the shows, promote themselves. You know, they have as much airtime as they want to cut a promo if they need, uh, as long as they keep it PG, obviously. We're on the radio, but uh, it's great having you on, Ricky. Um you were at the Hall of Fame, and that's how I found out this whole story with uh, with Andrea. Now, at the Hall of Fame, is, would you consider that the one of the the highlights of the year in terms of you as a fan? Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm a mark. I still love wrestling. I love to have that wow moment, uh, just because I'm in the business and have good friends. Up, like I said, in the WWE or TNA, it doesn't take away the wow factor. And I have to tell you. Sitting in the crowd uh, the night of the Hall of Fame to hear the, the induction speech from Stevie Ray to Booker T, which was probably the greatest speech I've ever heard. Uh, the story that Booker T went through as far as being, you know, his family losing his parents and, and stuff like that. It's stuff like that you just really don't know about, guys. That stuff really sheltered from the public. And then to have the Bruno San Martino moment, and then I don't want to blow it in case anybody didn't see it, but it's been on TV already. Uh, the Bob Backlund moment where he jumps into the crowd and he's running through the crowd high-fiving people and doing the Mr. Backlund. It was still like three or four wow moments that night that just blew my socks off. And i got to be honest with you, I had more fun at the Hall of Fame than I actually did at WrestleMania. No, I believe that. I, I watched WrestleMania from my friend's house, tried to get 
we tried to get media credentials and couldn't get in that way, so we decided to all chip in and watch the pay-per-view. Um, in terms of just wrestling right now, um, you talk about the wow factor. To me, um, I always talk about how the decline of uh, mainstream wrestling was when Vince bought WCW and just folded the company up. Do you think that was the, the downturn, or do you think there's something else that's been, you know, it's not as hot as it was during the uh, well, Attitude Era? I'll be honest with you. Um, so one of the funniest moments of WrestleMania week was when we went to go see Hulk Hogan at the Beacon Theater. Um, Hulk Hogan was trying to imitate Mike Tyson, who did the one-man show, and now Hulk Hogan was traveling doing a one-man show with Eric Bischoff as his host. And the exact words from the management at the Beacon Theater was, this was the worst attended event in the history of the Beacon Theater. If there was 225 people in a 3,000-seat building, I'm being generous. And I'm going to link that to the demise of wrestling. I think Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff, what they did in WCW, and how they just turned that into the Hulk Hogan show and the Eric Bischoff show is what destroyed wrestling as a whole um, in the last 20 years. I think the, the fact that the greediness and the fact that Eric Bischoff took a company that was red hot and on top of the world, they took in uh, anything in the world, they had it going for them. They were making millions upon millions and millions of dollars, and they just had no clue how to run a business. Um, there's like stories that you hear all the time. I talk to people about, um, I'm going to just use the guy's name, Leaping Lenny Poflo. People didn't know Lenny Poflo was getting $500,000 a year from WCW as part of his deal through Randy Savage. But Randy wouldn't wrestle unless Lenny got $500,000 a year. They were hemorrhaging money. There was probably, you know, Horace Boulder, which was Hulk Hogan's nephew, getting $250,000 not to work anywhere else in the world because they, Hogan wanted them to have contracts. It's stories like that that just, the Hogan era just destroyed wrestling. Was he the greatest thing ever for wrestling? A hundred percent he was. But he also was one of the main reasons that the business went into the toilet the way it did also. It's crazy when you mention stuff like that because I remember Horace Hogan. He was awful. I remember, you know, back in the day in WCW and, you know, in the 90s, like Joe, you and Joe are discussing, and of course even now with TNA with Garrett Bischoff and guys like that, a lot of the nepotism. Now the interesting thing about Savage, of course, is we always hear the stories that the reason Randy's not in the Hall of Fame, he had some problems with Vince, allegedly. But now, apparently, he won't go into the Hall of Fame. And WCW did this, which is verifiable. They inducted him, his father, and his brother. You know, he would well, actually no, he wouldn't go into the WCW Hall of Fame if they wouldn't induct his dad. So it looks like the same thing is, is happening with the WWE. Now, uh, you know, nepotism is a bad thing. It just makes me, it just baffles me why guys who have so much talent like a Randy Savage would, yeah, you want to take care of your family, but... He's making enough money to pay his brother, you know, to carry his bags. I just, I never understood that type of nepotism in wrestling. Right. It's one of the problems with the businesses. You see, people don't realize that wrestling at one time was run like the mafia. And it's funny to hear me say that or somebody else say that, but when the territories were set up, no one crossed boundaries. Nobody went into different areas and basically invaded. And Vince McMahon shattered all of that in the early 80s when he took over from his father and he went and took all the regional people away and brought them into one locker room and, you know, then the rest is history when Piper, Buzz Sawyer, Dr. D, Dave Schultz, Mean Gene Oakley and Hulk Hogan all showed up in one locker room and they all looked around and went, oh, my God, if this guy can make this work, you know, nothing's going to stop us. And nobody did stop them for almost 30 years. Then what happened was WCW catches fire. And, you know, the NWA back in the day itself, I, I would say, you know, if they had the marketing idea of, of of Vince McMahon in their corner, they would have 
you know, captivated wrestling 20 times over because the talent they had with Sting and Ric Flair and the Road Warriors was far superior than anything Vince had to work with as far as in-ring. But they just didn't have that marketing genius behind them that Vince McMahon turned out to be. But the fact that that wrestling was just destroyed by nepotism is, is a great point because you can't give the people the same product every night. The NWO was the greatest thing to hit wrestling in 100 years. The, the Nash and Hall, then they added Hogan, and it was great. But then by the time it was over, 75% of the people on TV were NWO, and the fans were like, wow, Buck uh, Bagwell is in the NWO. Or <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty, sure that Joe, I'm pretty sure Joe was a part of the NWO at one point. Yeah. I, I think so. I think Andrea was Wolfpack, wasn't she? <laughs> she was definitely Wolfpack. <laughs> oh, you know, Ricky, it's a great point that you make because uh, I spent a lot of time on, I talked about this a lot on the show extensively. I spent a lot of time watching Netflix, and a lot of the Netflix stuff that I do watch is professional wrestling because, you know, instead of buying the, the DVD sets, they just come out on Netflix. The one about the NWO was interesting, but nobody really made the point that when they started branching off into the LWO and the NWO Black and White and the Wolfpack and, you know, every, you know, 50 versions of the NWO, and basically 90% of the WCW roster was in the NWO, it really took what was a great concept with just three guys and ruined it. But, you know, going back to ruined angles, we could talk about the uh, invasion in WCW with the WWF at the time when they bought them. Now, let me ask you, other than ego, why do you think that angle tanked so badly because Joe and I remember we were so pumped up thinking this is the greatest thing to happen in wrestling, and it ended up being the worst thing because WCW died of a painful death pretty quickly after Vince bought them out. Right. Well, you know, you know, one thing that a lot of people don't realize or, or remember is the NWO was actually taken from another company. The NWO was in Japan for a year. Uh, I, I believe it was New Japan. It was Masahiro Chono uh, started the NWO in Japan. He had that gimmick going first. Eric Bischoff went over on a tour with WCW, saw this, and was like, wow, we got to do this here. So that gimmick was actually stolen from somebody else. But, you know, everything in wrestling is stolen, so I don't want to make it sound like they did something that was wrong. Um, the problem with the NWO, with WCW in general, was Vince McMahon's ego was never going to allow the WCW to come on his TV. When Eric Bischoff gave the results for Tony Schiavone that time that only won the title when Raw was taping two weeks in advance. And that was great. <laughs> they, did so much, they did so much stuff to tweak Mr. McMahon's, you know what, that when it was time for him to put his thumb and crush them, um, he did what he had to do. Now, people don't realize, he paid pennies on the dollar. He got his money back the night after, literally, from getting the video library. When he was able to get the Dusty Rhodes, the Ric Flairs, the Stings, the Road Warriors, just to own their video library, he'll make 150 million times over what he paid for that company just off the DVDs alone. That's how stupid Bischoff and the other people were to let that go for what it was. Uh, you know, the original asking price, oh, we're going to sell it for $100 million. Uh, You know, somebody told me the whole the whole deal went down for under $5 million. That's how much debt wow. CW was in by the time it was out. So... I mean, he made $5 million on the CM Punk DVD. you imagine what he made on the Ric Flair collection? Do you imagine what he made on the Dusty Rhodes box set? Yeah, and then, of course, the Four Horsemen. I think they've had two versions of that. You know, they have the best of uh, Nitro and everything else, I'm sure, at some point. You'll have a Sting DVD, which will look crazy. There's a Goldberg DVD coming out in a couple of months. So buying the library was a great thing, but I just wish that Vince had been able to put his ego aside, put it in check, and say, you know what, this is what's best for wrestling. 
And unfortunately, we as fans have suffered because the product in and of itself has not been well, a good one. But the good thing... Well, it hasn't been a good one. It has not been a good one. But you also have to take a step back and say, too, is that, you know, when when competition was great, I mean, I'm sure you guys noticed you're in the business, but maybe people listening for the first time don't know it. Vince created his own competition with ECW. I mean, he was financing that secretly for years behind everyone's back. Right. Um, it, you know, he was paying for that. Why? Because the buzz was, oh, this new wrestling company, and it got people to watch wrestling. There's such a thing, guys, called the seven-year cycle in professional wrestling. Seven years wrestling will peak and go through the roof, and, and Hulkamania is a perfect example, and then it's going to take seven years in the dumps, and that's the Bret Hart era, and, and Diesel, and, and stuff like that being the world champion, and it's not their fault. But the easiest way for me to explain this is what I see here in my own my own promotion. Seven years ago, I was running the Lodi Boys and Girls Club uh, as a favor to them to help them keep the Boys and Girls Club afloat. They were in need of money. My entire crowd, I was throwing five, six, seven, eight hundred people a month there, which is great for an indie. And we, we were doing phenomenal business. Well, guess what? Those 10, 11, and 12-year-olds became 20-year-olds, and girls became more important than going to see the hit squad. So we lost that generation of fans. But then those kids that were two or three years old, seven years became ten, and they remember going with their dad, and now they're my fans right now. And as for Kai said, I'm still in the building and Oakland and, and stuff like that where I'm running with the new generation of fans. And wrestling is on an upward slope right now. If you look at the numbers, the live gates, wrestling is on its way back up. So I, I'm predicting you're going to see tons and tons of money over the next five years. CM Punk is going to ride the wave. Uh, he's going to be one of the faces of the company. And if they just continue with the injuries they have, he might be the only guy left in the <laughs> Right. Well, I know the thing about Punk, if you watch the DVD, is he says he doesn't want to be in. He doesn't want to be a wrestling lifer. That's his big thing. So I don't know how long he plans on being in the industry. Well, but but the good thing about this whole situation in terms of you, you know, your your promotion and promotions like, like yours, is that fans have been so turned, a lot of fans have been so turned off to the mainstream product that they're willing to go, hey, let's go to an indie show. Let's go check this out. Let's go check out this promotion. So it's a good thing for you that the business is, is down in that sense. Well, you know, here, here's a couple things. When I was running the J-Cup, nobody knew who, uh, you know, CM Punk was. We're talking going back in the early 2000s. I have to credit a friend of mine, Dave Greco. He, he worked for me for 10 years. He just recently retired. Uh, his name was Superstar Dave Greco. Came to me. We set up this thing called the J-Cup where every year we brought in the top 16 unsigned talents in the country into one building for a one-night tournament, and we showcased what they can do. Um, the best tournament I ever ran was at the Rexplex in Elizabeth, New Jersey. CM Punk, oh, Punk Rexplex, Santa, nice. AJ Styles, um, uh, Billy Fives, Scoot Andrews from Florida. Reckless Youth was the winner that year. Uh, we're talking the greatest night in, in, in New Jersey, I will ever say, in one room of talent. Now, what did that spawn? I have to give the guy credit. There's a little company out there called uh, Ring of Honor. And Ring of Honor was spawned that night when Rob Feinstein came to me. And, you know, people have their opinions on Rob about other things and personal subjects, which I'm not going to touch because I love Rob and I think he's a great guy. But Rob came to me and goes, I, I think I can do what you did tonight every night of the week. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, I've been working on a, a company. I'm going to name it Ring of Honor. And I want to work on a company where pure wrestling is what sells to the fans. And Rob went out and did that. He, he signed uh, guys like Hulk Cabana and CM Punk and Daniel Bryan to work that every single month in a different building. And that spawned a whole new generation of wrestling. 
and these young guys now are maturing. And, and you know, there's a if you saw the CM Punk DVD, if you bought it, there's some extras on there. And uh, one of the extras is called uh, Fractured Skull. And that was actually the match I'm talking about. He actually fractured his skull and ended up in the hospital for about a week out here in Jersey uh, working against Wegman's youth that night. So uh, there is a little bit of me on that DVD, which I'm proud to say that CM Punk and I are friends. He's a nice. great guy. But he's not going to be in the business in probably five years. I think right. he'll be out of it. And I'm going to give you a little scoop right now. Uh, that, that, that walking out on Monday Night War the other night, there's a little bit more to that than what people know. He's very unhappy with the product that they're writing. He's very upset with the creative team in the WWE. Yeah, yeah. Very banged up. And, you know, there's some rumors he might be done by the end of this year. He might not want to be back. It'd be crazy. I mean, I write, you know, you read things like that in the dirt sheets. When you have a guy, someone such as yourself, who actually has inside knowledge, it's just so much more, uh, you know, credible, obviously. And I read I read about that with Punk, that he, you know, walked out and he wasn't happy with the creative. But, I mean, the problem is, if you're a fan, right, and again, I like CM Punk, but if you're a fan, you may look at that and say, well, Punk is just whining and complaining again because he was complaining a couple of years ago. Well, here's here's the deal. Let me ask you a question. Say your radio show right now is set up for you guys to succeed, right? right? Everybody wants this show to go. We want it to get picked up. We want you guys to start getting big salaries, and we want to go international because I want to be part of your show. Definitely. But let's just say I come on every week and I unplug your microphone or – you know, you've got a buzz going on Blog Talk Radio and everybody loves you, but then CBS picks you up and they purposely put you in the worst spot. And they put you <laughs> at the worst time of the night on purpose. And that's what happened to CM Punk. You know, he had the internet buzz. He was the Ring of Honor JCW, you know, uh, pro wrestling gorilla sweetheart. He's coming off this internet buzz. And then he gets to the company and Shawn Michaels and uh, uh, Hunter are in charge. And they got McMahon's ear and they're like, this kid's a scrawny little punk. He's an internet sensation. Nobody's going to like him. And all they did was set him up to fail. And you know what? Right. He never failed. You know, that, the guy, I mean, you no. got to give him credit no matter what. He never failed. He became definitely. the biggest thing in wrestling since Austin on his own. You're right. I mean, that's a good point because he definitely has gone against the grain, as it were. And to see him being successful now, I mean, it would stink if he did walk away because I know he has so many fans. And I'm sure that, you know, he's going to probably turn face at some point again. But... I mean, hell, we'd love to have him on our show. You know, just get him when he's in the area, give us a call, whatever the case is. Ricky, you'll be like the, you know, you'll be going to get the 10% off the gate, whatever the case is. I mean, you know, Joe and I, we're just excited about the possibilities of, uh, you know, other than having you in studio, but maybe even some guy you may know or, you know, you know, throw, throw a bone our way as it were. You know, as far as where we've gotten to this point, you know, we've had a lot of different guests and different people on this program. But in terms of wrestling, the biggest names that we've ever had are Billy Gunn and, and the Road Dog, who are great. We love them. They're great on our show. And they're a little bit more in the mainstream now because of their behind-the-scenes stuff, but they're not mainstream superstars that people would say, oh, wow, you know. So to have uh, different people on would be great. And, of course, you know, to, to help promote uh, your promotion when you're running shows, whenever you want to hop on, um, you know, you're, you're more than welcome here on Pure Gold, sir. Oh, I'd love to have you. Why don't you guys book this date, June 15th, we're going to be up in Oakland, New Jersey. Why don't you guys bring some of the radio equipment up? Uh, we got time with Tommy Dreamer, Just Incredible, Crowbar, Lucas Beefcake, Greg Valentine. Uh, they're all going to be up there that night, plus all the guys on my roster. Why don't you guys come up and do some uh, do some radio interviews, put them in the can, and, you know, we'll air them on delay or something like that the next time you guys are on. But I'll give you press credentials. Don't worry about it. <laughs> hey, listen, that'd be awesome, considering that's actually my birthday weekend, and we actually had Just Incredible on our show at one point, so I can, I can uh, 
I can give him a super kick for some of the comments that he makes on the show. But that would be awesome. I mean, you know, Joe and I, of course, have to work out the logistics. But we, we did a remote once at uh, Joe's daytime job, which shall be uh, shall remain nameless. And that was a – we had a hell of a good time. So it would be great to do something like that and, you know, hook up with you guys over there. KFC let you do a lot of remote. That's pretty cool. No, it wasn't KFC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Joe is Joe is uh, sucking down chicken wings, and we're, we're doing a, a radio show talking about you know the the Colonel's newest recipe. Right. Well, Ricky. I would I would love a hundred percent to ever have you guys. Whatever you want to do. I mean, I, I love being on anytime you want me. And you just tell me a date, and I'll, I'll line up some guys for you. That sounds great, Ricky. And we do appreciate your time calling in. And uh, sorry you couldn't come in, but trust me, you would have taken forever to get here. You've been like. Uh, I can't, oh, you know, with this guy. If I could so, just get my website, that would be great. Yeah. Uh, it's www. Uh, com. And, uh, you know, if you go on there, you check it out. As a matter of fact, if you if you join and become a member, mention you heard it over here on the radio show, and I'll get you guys some discounts. Oh, nice. Now, you said NWALibertyStates, with an S, dot com? Yes, LibertyStates.com. Awesome. Ricky, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it, and I'm sure we're going to have a, a great relationship working together. Of course, here on Pure Gold, we, uh, you know, we love having you on, and hopefully, you know, one day when I decide to fire my co-host, maybe you could take over as, a, as a, the second guy here. I would love to be part of this show anytime, and thank you for having me, guys. Thank you, sir. Have a wonderful evening. You too. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Folks, that was Ricky Otazu, uh, you know, a longtime friend of my wife, apparently. Well, apparently, that you just found out like two weeks ago. Just That's the, folks, the best part about this whole thing is that, you know, Joe's wife, who, you know, we talk about her on the show every, every so often, she tells Joe after two and a half years of doing this program, oh, by the way, I have a friend who owns a wrestling promotion, Joe. After she finished low blowing you and you heard that, how, how did you feel? I mean, was that like a chair in the face? And tell tell the audience, sir, that. When you told me that, I literally could not believe it. Yeah, I couldn't believe it myself. I was in shock and awe, thinking to myself, you know, we, we talk about wrestling a lot of the time, especially during WrestleMania season, and then to tell me that, you know, she actually knows somebody and knows all these people that Ricky knows is, is truly amazing. So going forward, at least, now we can build a true relationship with Ricky and uh, all the people he knows, get some people on, promote their shows, talk to some famous retired and current wrestlers, which, Definitely you know... Yeah, Ricky mentioned CM Punk, Maybe Gilbert. Edge, Big Van Vader. All those people are people that I grew up watching, so it would be great to have them on. And, sir, as we, uh, I just want to say as we wind down on a show that's been a little dysfunctional, I'd like to have Erica back uh, just for one last couple, few more questions before we close out. Um, the one thing I want to ask that we didn't get to, Erica, is um, how do you work with the director? Like, What's that relationship like in terms of, does he tell you I need to I need you to find this many students or what's that working relationship like? No, Marty and I work side by side. He's my right hand man and my boss. I'm his right hand woman. So basically, we complement each other. So he'll tell me, okay, Erica, today I want you to reach out to these industry contacts. Um, today I want you to um, email this person, follow up with that person, um, you know, stuff like day-to-day things. I also do administrative things that are not so fun to talk about. But, um, you know, that's how we work together. He he um, is 
his main priority is getting the students um, into enrolled. And actually, it's funny because we have a studio tour tonight, which... Um, you skipped the studio tour to come here? Of course. That's good. I did. That's good. We got another part. You got another pure gold is number one on the list of uh, of CSB. Now, when you do the when you do the studio tour, tell us a bit about that. I mean, you know what happens there. So with the studio tours, it's not just oh here's our campus. This is our lovely equipment. You that actually. Lovely, by the way, folks. <laughs> Thank you. We actually have every person that comes through, unless they're you know, they're for moral support, um, do a TV read and a radio read. So they're thrown right into it. Oh, they don't know it before they come, but I mean. So even though you're there just for a studio tour, you get thrown on? Yeah. Good thing Joe didn't go on there. Joe would have started fumbling and bumbling and stumbling. I mean, it's a little, I remember mine way back when, and it's a little nerve-wracking, but honestly, you guys are in the industry. Come on. You have to be on. You, you gotta, and I mean, it's okay if you mess up at that point in time. It's okay if you mess up during the classes. Like, that's what we're here for. You know, it's that, so we provide you with the tools that you can take from CSB and implement them into the industry. Now, speaking of the industry, speaking of tools, speaking of throwing somebody into the fire, we actually have another person who is here in studio with us, and her name is Samantha. And Samantha is actually one of the, the... She's one of my PM grads. She's the November 2012 PM nice. class. They just graduated uh, last month. They're a fantastic class. Really? Yes. How, how was she? Was she a good student? Yes, she was. That, that, that's definitely definitely good to know. Now, Samantha, say hi to all the folks out there listening in Newark. Well, hello, everyone. <laughs> so, folks, that is uh, Samantha. Now, we're hoping that Samantha will be able to help us uh, join on board as one of the interns here because, like Joe said at the beginning... We're trying to amass an army of interns. Now, Samantha, um, one thing I don't like about you is uh, your choice of football team. Now, tell us, tell us a little bit about your, your sports background, because I know you're a big sports fan. Well, thanks, David. <laughs> Everyone's going to hate me even more now because I'm a huge Patriots fan. Oh. But I am a huge Yankee fan. Even, even worse. Even worse. Haters. Love it. <laughs> but, yeah, we'll be good in the April 26th to 27th draft. We will pick up people. Just like Bill Check always does, we'll be set. Let's go, Pat. <laughs> now, let me ask you, uh, Samantha, if you were to say, hey, uh, we're going to give you a shot to do a show, for example, because w- for whatever reason, we've had a lot of different cancellations here at the, at the station with, with, you know, scheduling conflicts and whatnot and, you know, possibly people getting arrested. I mean, let's not get into that, but that, that's besides the point. You know, we've had a lot of different times where in the first less than two months, people haven't been able to do a show. If I were to say, Samantha, hey, uh, can you do a show tonight, what would your show be about? My show will be about sports, about the whole, of course, the Boston Massacre, of course. I'm just talking about that. And then, of course, talking about the Wednesday night with the Lakers and Jack, who's going to win it for the NBA. You guys don't know. Samantha knows her stuff. Yep, we will talk about sports all day. She does. She <laughs> knows her sports. I remember you mentioned that to me in one of our 4,000 emails that we... Uh, we yeah, I think before. it was like 4,862. It's quite a, quite a lot, <laughs> Joe. I know you're over there just sitting there quietly as you, as you tend to do. Well, like I said, you're amassing a mafia. I mean, an army of interns. And uh, as head boss, I'm sure you want your cut. Um, oh, of course, of course. Um, you know, but, uh, sorry, you want to... Yeah, I want to thank I want to thank Erica for coming in, but I want to hit on a couple of topics real fast with you. Of course, because it's just important that we get through them. Um, unfortunate tragedy on Monday with the Boston Marathon. 
with the two bombs. The one thing that uh, my take on, I'll get your take on it, sir, is like it's unfortunate that these things happen and they happen all too often. Even though there's a lot of things that get to, that you know do get prevented throughout the years after 9/11, for example. But it seems like you know the, the one thing we must remember in the United States is that uh, the price of freedom is not free, and you know we must all be vigilant and and be aware of our surroundings. So uh, it was a very sad to see what happened at the Boston Marathon. Um, Definitely prayers go out to the families. Uh, of course. You know, unfortunate passing of the eight-year-old boy that, you know, is very heartbreaking. But um, we just got to be aware that, you know, stuff like this, this is the new world that we live in. And unfortunately, you know, life goes on. We have to c- continue to live our lives as normally as possible because if we don't, sir, that's when the terrorists win. And the thing is, right now, we don't know who did this or, you know, whatever the case is. And, of course, see, see this is something I know this is not going to be a popular opinion that I'm going to share, but... I hear a lot of people talking, a lot of, you know, quote-unquote red-blooded Americans, and they're talking about how we have to find these people and kill them and execute them, and why should there be a trial? And I understand that passion, but that that flies in the face of what this country is all about. This country is not about, you know, innocent, uh, guilty until proven innocent. No, you're innocent in this country until proven guilty. Even if they were to find somebody and say, oh, we suspect him, he's going to have to go to a trial. That's the way this country works. It doesn't work where we find you, we shoot you, you know, you're dead on sight. And, uh, I mean, I get the whole Osama bin Laden thing, of course, what happened there, but that's extenuating circumstances. In a case like this, if they were to find the person the same way they found Timothy McVeigh, the same way they found, you know, other guys who were serial killers and whatnot in the past, they have to go to trial because that's what the country is about. The country is about giving everyone a fair shot, whether they deserve it or not. You know what? None of us are murderers or killers in that sense. But, you know, we have these liberties and these freedoms that soldiers have fought for for years, for hundreds of years. And truthfully, a lot of times we don't deserve it and we don't take advantage of those freedoms. So when you look at the whole overall broad picture of the the Boston uh, Marathon and, of course, the the tragic, terrible events that happened, it definitely reminds you of 9-11. But even even at that, this country is, it's better than find, execute, shoot on sight. I know a lot of people who are, are, that's the way they feel. I was listening to Craig Carton this morning talking about it, and it's just, it's it's not the way this country does things. It's not the way they do business, regardless of how you and I may feel about our president or whoever may feel about our president. You know, and, and speaking of that, there was a, the poison letter sent to the White House. That, you know, I was talking to my coworker about that earlier today. And regardless of liking him or disliking him or you know loving him or whatever stuff like that, it's horrible to hear that somebody. I don't know. I, I doubt the two things are, are interconnected, but you just never know. And it's crazy how people think they can get away with these things because eventually. Come hell or high water, you're going to get caught. You are. And, uh, you know, you're right about this, uh, you know, your innocence or proven, uh, till proven guilty in the United States. And of course. The, the one thing that I, 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 I remember from 9-11, somebody had said, is like, you go and kill one of these terrorists, if they are terrorists, from outside the country or in the country, they're both, they're considered terrorists. Right, right, right. You kill, if you want to kill the one person, you kill one and then five more show up. And you, you, you make this person a martyr. It's like, you know, it's, it's like the, the old, you know, the Hydra, you know, you cut up one head and two more pop up. And it seems to be, how before they killed Osama bin Laden, sir, how many times did they say they killed an Al-Qaeda chief? They killed another Al-Qaeda lieutenant. I mean, they, this was this was nonstop for years since George Bush was in office and even now, you know, uh, four plus years into Barack Obama's, uh, you know, his his time as president, his, his you know, his, um, you know, his, his uh, reign, as it were, um, there's always something, there's always another guy, and that's the thing about terrorism. And again, it's an act of terror because it's an attack on the people, but we don't know who did it. We don't know if it was uh, someone from outside the country. You know, 
you know, there was some there was some irresponsible reporting earlier today saying that uh, it was uh, someone of a dark complexion. That could be anybody. What does that mean? You know, according to the according to the video footage they found, they said that they found the guy and they didn't find him. It just amazes me the way that intelligence works in this country, stuff that we don't know and, you know, suspects that we have no clue. And then when you find out, it, it's just it's shocking. And sometimes it takes for, it takes years. So definitely a sad topic, but I, it was a topic that had to be brought up. We wouldn't be doing our jobs if we didn't bring up that. That happened only uh, two days ago. So that's that's one thing that right. I want to get through. Uh, the other thing that kind of ties into it is that, not ties into it, but we're talking about Boston. We're talking about my Boston Celtics because I'm a Celtics fan. Playing against and that, that's quite a segue. So yeah, quite a se- well, that, so the only reason why I mention that is because you're playing. We're playing the New York Knicks, so it's Boston versus New York starting Saturday. Let's just hope uh, that the uh, the Celtics have the Celtic pride in them to beat your Knicks. Even though uh, I feel, I, for the first time in a long time, I feel like the Knicks are favored to win the series. Well, Carmelo, who is the Godfather, won yeah. the NBA uh, scoring title. Uh, and I, I think the Knicks have a chance, or I honestly think the Knicks will win. I believe that it'll be a, a seven-game series. I believe that, uh, you know, the the Knicks, Patrick Ewing will come off the bench, uh, John Starks. I mean, I think that every old Nick will be there, and it'll be a, it'll be a good thing. Anytime there's exciting games in the Garden, it's a good thing. But it is it is odd, like you said, that you have New York and Boston, and then of course you have New York reaching out to Boston after everything that happened with the, the Boston Marathon. Yep. So it'll be interesting to see the NBA playoffs do start this weekend, and. Uh... It's good for radio. We'll, we'll be able to break down some of the games, at least by next Wednesday. You mean you'll be able to break down some of the games? No, you will, too. Don't worry. You'll be singing some <laughs> J.R. Smith. Oh, of course, of course. Uh, oh, by the way, sir, yeah. i got to throw this out there. Uh, this past weekend, there was a youth event at the Eisenhower Center, which I took the youth from my church there. And guess which? Guess who was there in in, in Jersey alone? J.R. Smith. No way. It wasn't him, but there was a kid, the only basketball jersey, had, like 10,000 kids were in the arena. I look down, I see a, a bright blue J.R. Smith, New York Knicks jersey, and I, I immediately thought of the song and, and thought of you, so I had to throw that out there, sir. Very cool. Uh, J.R. Smith is definitely... Uh, he's so right, sir. He's so right. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, also, one other news that we heard uh, yeah, yesterday about the uh, sad passing of Pat Summerall. The one thing I wanted to mention oh, today, about... actually. Was it today? Yeah, he got okay. today, The one thing about Pat Summerall that I didn't know about this, did you know that his, his first name was never Pat, really? What is it? Pat stands for point after touchdown, the PAT. Oh, they, wow. He was automatic with the PAT, so they call him Pat Summerall, I think. I forget his name. I don't know if it was John Summerall. We're going to have to look this up. Yeah, his name was definitely not Pat, but that was interesting. But when I think of Pat Summerall, I think of obviously John Madden and Pat Summerall doing those big games, those big NFC games. And whenever those two guys were behind the mic, you knew it was a big game. So um sad to hear the passing of Pat Summerall. Definitely. What I've read, you know, things I've heard, he actually has called the most uh, Super Bowls ever. I believe it's, he's got the record with 16, sir. Wow. And it's a shame that he passed away today. When I think of Pat Summerall, um, I think of, you know, he was a place kicker. I didn't know he played football. Nice. When I think of Pat Summerall, George Allen Summerall, by the way, I think of um, Frank Caliendo, who does this whole bit with John Madden, and then he would talk about Pat Summerall. Summerall would just kind of sit there and say, and, you know, to the twenty, to the twenty-five. You know, he would do this whole Pat Summerall thing, but it was basically just making fun of John Madden. And he was saying how he had it the, the greatest voice in, in history, but he was stuck behind John Madden saying and and. So I always think about that, but definitely sad passing of uh, George Allen Summerall. And the the crazy thing, sir, is that he's only a couple of weeks shy of his birthday. Uh, you know, where he would have been uh, 83, I believe. So you know, again, sad sad for what what happened there in, in his situation and. You know, just a guy who was 
He played in the NFL, sir. He actually played for the Giants. I, I did not know that. I mean, I had no clue. <laughs> no clue. It's amazing how you miss this stuff on air. Yeah, well, listen, yeah. this show is all about the money, as it were, the money that's rolling in. And uh, now I'm just kidding. I actually didn't know that he played with the Giants. But I was just looking at Wikipedia and, you know, trying to, to get my thoughts across. But, again, it is a shame what happened to Pat Summerall. But, you know, he lived a great life and he's a great announcer. One of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest, sir. So from one topic that you don't know that to another topic you don't know that, but we'll uh, explain. Hey, I know who that summer was. Yeah, we'll explain. This past weekend was the, probably the best golf tournament uh, in in the, in the year called the Masters. You know, oh, I'm sure the you know. Masters? Yeah, it's called Masters? the Masters. Yeah, Masters. Yeah, I've heard of it. So I'm sure you know that the only reason why I bring it up is because there's Tiger, a, Tiger Woods, there y'all. The big controversy. Is big that what Big Let me ask you, sir. You're a huge golf fan. I, golf, huge, worst, huge. Worst. It's golf. not even a sport as far as I'm concerned. Huge. Awful, terrible, and boring. Right. But. When you look at Tiger, right, and Mike was going nuts about this yesterday, he he, he incorrectly filled out a scorecard, uh, if I'm not mistaken, right? And he was supposed to be disqualified, but he wasn't disqualified. Why is it, sir? Is it because he's Tiger, Tiger Woods, y'all? It's not because he's Tiger Woods. They implemented a rule about a year or two ago that um, actually does not um, necessarily mean you got to get disqualified. If you sign an incorrect card, you lose, like he, like Tiger did this past weekend, he lost two strokes, two keystrokes and him potentially winning his fifth uh, green jacket. But the reason why I bring it up is um, if golf is a sport where you're, you're, ju- you're scoring yourself, there's no like referee, no judge, right. um, the, the big question is if you know that you've scored yourself incorrectly, which he knew, which he knew would you disqualify yourself and take yourself out of the tournament, or Mike, would you want to be this glory hog and try to win another tournament? The sports pope made a good, made a good uh, you know, assumption or assertion. He said that what Tiger could have done, he could have won public opinion back based on this whole scandal, you know, sleeping with 85 or 1,000. I forget how many women it was, but that's neither here nor there. What Tiger did, what he didn't do was he didn't take the higher road. I I agree with Mike. I think he should have taken himself out, and people would have said, well, you know, Tiger did a great job because he could have taken the the, the penalty, like you said, but say, you know what, I messed this up. I've known this since I was a kid playing golf that this is wrong, and really up until recently, I would be automatically disqualified, and guys have lost the Masters because of that rule. He should have just said, you know what, I'm I'm out, I'm done, I made a mistake, and that's it. And I think people would have given him more respect, and they would have maybe knocked off 20 women out of the thousand that he fucked with. So <laughs> they would have said, oh, Tiger, good job. See, those are your exclusive folks listening here on Pure Gold. Dave actually does talk golf, and he was able to talk some golf. <laughs> good job, Dave. That will never happen again other than me saying I hate golf, and I think it sucks. I want to close out the show on our beloved New York Mets, unfortunately. Beloved? Yeah. The only thing that I must say is so far that Wheeler is the real deal. I think you mean Harvey. Why do you keep calling him Wheeler? Wheeler's oh, right. in the minors. Right, but Wheeler can be the real deal. Harvey is the real deal. He's 3-0, and going off to Third. a great start. Six hits, 22 innings. Yeah, yeah. amazing. He's, and, he's been, he's been, he has been the real, what, what I find, and I, you know, again, I, I tend to talk to myself a lot when I'm driving, when I'm listening to sports radio, I'll make blurt comments out loud, like as if you were next to me. But Mike was saying how he looks at Harvey. Everyone in baseball is looking at Matt Harvey and said, this guy is legit. I'm, I'm Not that I'm not on the bandwagon because I've liked him since day one, but I'm a little nervous to say that he's going to be the next, you know, second coming of whomever because he's a Met. So there's always a possibility that he gets hurt and his career is over next week. But, sir, if he pitches the way that he continues to pitch, the way that he is pitching now, he will be an ace on his team for years to come. And as a matter of fact, Mike made a good point. I know we call Mike Francis a lot here. Mike was making a good point. The Mets have five of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball. And not Isringhausen, Pulsifer, for Wilson pitching prospects. Like, everyone is in love with guys like Wheeler, like Noah, Noah Syndergaard, and, uh, you Ramon. know, guys like that, Montero. You know, just all these different guys. And 
Then they have other, you know, they have other, but the pitching can be a key, sir. I'm going to make a prediction here. Five years, in the next five years, the Mets will, if not win a World Series, they will be in a World Series because this pitching is going to be damn good. As I hear Samantha laughing and she's just been fired from 1640. <laughs> the Yankees can go to hell as far as I'm concerned. Sarah, what were you saying? I was saying, uh, I don't know why you hired her. I mean, <laughs> it's a good job you hired, uh, you know. Good hire there, uh, but I want to end the show on a good note. So hopefully, you know, not a some, negative one. Some God looks to to your whatever. Uh, the Mets will be in the World Series the next five years. So I, I believe it, sir. I believe that with pitching wins, correct? Correct. Look at the San Francisco Giants. That's why I don't understand why you told me off air you'd want to trade Wheeler for some guy on well, Florida Marlins. But the Mets have no offense. If you were to trade Travis Darno and Zach Wheeler, unproven potential. Giancarlo Stanton is younger than Travis Darno, so if you put him in right field. Hitting 35 to 40 home runs in City Field, the Mets need offense desperately. Their outfield looks like a softball outfield, and not even like women's softball. I'm talking like old fat man beer league softball. Their their guys are clueless. They have no talent in the outfield, and to have a guy like Giancarlo Stan, who's legitimate, two years he has been an awesome top notch power hitter who hits for a good average, by the way, and can field. That's something I don't think you can pass up because they're no who knows. And same thing with Wheeler. That puts a nice bow on GTH. today's show. That puts a nice bow on today's show. That Thank puts you, a nice sir. Say, say it three more times, sir. That Mike, puts a nice bow on yourself, the show. Mike. That puts a nice bow on the show. Thanks for everybody. Thanks for Erica. Thanks thank for the- you guys for having me. And thank you guys also for um, welcoming Samantha with such open arms. Cheers. Well, that was before she I said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the arms have been closed after the Mets comments. Uh, but- oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll wait for the Right. Thanks to Ricky Otaja from the NWA. Of course. Thanks to Samantha, who, you know, first time and last time being here in the studio. Um, Joe, a pleasure as always, folks, all of you listening out there. Since I know Joe's trying to be the glory hog and take what is normally my spot. Let me close up the show, folks. As always, check us out, puregoldpg.com. You can listen to the radio station at ir1640amradio.com. Check us out on the TuneIn radio app on your Android or iPhone device. Um, for Joe, this is David, of course, reminding you to always keep it PG. And as we close out the show here, um, it's just, sir, it's a pleasure as always. And, you know, for everybody listening out there, make sure you check us out next week, 6 p.m. Eastern. What's the name of your show? Uh, pure Gold. Pure Gold. Yes, sir. I got two words for you. Pure <laughs> Gold. You guys are awesome. Yes, we are. And Joe will probably not be here next week, but that's irrelevant because the show... We'll go on. Good night, everybody.